When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Happy October, everyone. I hope you are taking to the field, going hunting, fishing, spending time outdoors, and staying cool because we still have some hot weather on the horizon here in the southeast, mid-Atlantic. Seems like the whole country is warm. We're not entirely in fall yet, even though the fall solstice has hit. But I hope you're staying cool. You're enjoying the fall weather so far, wherever you are getting it. The leaves are changing. Pumpkin spices everywhere. Things, however, are heating up for renewable energy, which we'll talk about momentarily. But two quick items for you all before I share my interview with two fantastic conservationists and filmmakers that are based in Texas. Tomorrow, you may have seen that I am speaking at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. I will be delivering another conservationist conservative lecture It's the first of fall 2023. I've been giving these lectures for several years, and I'm really excited to go to campus. I know they have a very energized student body. This is a very well-attended meeting, so I'm very excited to bring this message to the Turning Point group at Auburn University. Never been to Alabama, so I'm very excited about that. I know the barbecue is great. Weather looks phenomenal, and I'm excited to enrich the students there about conservation and conservatism, not being at odds with one another. Today, Madison and I have released a brand new episode, episode 15 of Conservation Nation, our long-anticipated offshore wind and whale report. You can find that on CFAC's YouTube channel. You do not want to miss it. We have talked to some familiar faces opposing wind energy, commercial fishermen, some community activists, and we've even featured some recreational anglers who are starting to change their tune or who have changed their tune on offshore wind, given the various different implications to fish feeding grounds, access So many different factors at play and things you can lose as a recreational angler even if these large-scale wind projects are going to come to fruition. There's close to two dozen projects that are on the pipeline, although inflationary pressures are potentially going to stop them from happening. And I think the negative backlash to some of the impacts that will be felt on marine life, again, fish... These are eyesores, and the more that I continue to dig deep into this and research them, the more I become opposed to them, especially at the magnitude that they're being proposed at. I just can't feel comfortable seeing this wholesale ocean industrialization take place before me. And the fact that more environmentalists are not opposed to this is startling, but not surprising to me because they've been bought off essentially by Orsted and some of these bigger companies. No doubt about it. That explains the virtual silence. But more positively, I'm not the only person, and these guests of mine today are not the only individuals criticizing renewable energy or demanding accountability for these projects. I have two very special gentlemen, young guys coming on the program today. They're behind Yucca Films. You may have seen this on social media. They've done a lot of 
exposés into wind turbine disposal, uh, wind turbine transport, and they're soon going to be digging into solar. They're starting in Texas. And I have Eli Rosen and Ron Kendall Jr. from Yucca Films on to talk about their work. You probably have seen some of their images from social media, particularly Instagram. A lot of their footage there has taken off of the wind turbine graveyards, the blade graveyards. That's harrowing images. If you look at it, and I will link to all their programming and to their videos, but you look at this and you're like, is there no one questioning the disposal of wind turbines out there? Where are the environmentalists? Where's Sierra Club? Where's NRDC? Where are the so-called wildlife advocates? Where are the people who are pretending to be or purporting to be land conservationists? Virtual silence. That's the question that a lot of these green energy proponents are not interested in facing. They don't like being asked tough questions about what happens when these projects become decommissioned and how come they don't live to their potential and why they're subsidized and what have you. And so we talk in great detail about kind of the questions that people should be having and why independent filmmakers like them feel compelled to share this. It's visual storytelling of beautiful quality. It's really well done. They come about it impartiality wise, you know, fair and balanced, and they're asking good questions. So I figure it's worthwhile to highlight their efforts, get to know them more. And I hope those of you listening who have even more influence than me will share their stuff, connect with them, and really help amplify conservation storytelling that you often don't hear about. So here is my conversation with Eli and Ron. I hope you guys check out their work and take a look into Yuka Films more. Eli and Ronald, thank you so much for joining my podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Could you both introduce yourselves and talk about your work in conservation for those who may be unfamiliar? Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll start here. My name's Ron Kendall Jr. Uh, I am based out of Lubbock, Texas, and I work a lot uh, throughout the rolling plains of Texas uh, in between, she'd say, Lubbock and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, it's a very beautiful country, and I'm, I'm proud to call it home. Um, a lot of my day-to-day is I, I do ranch and wildlife management, so I, I fully live the conservationist uh, lifestyle. Uh, feel very blessed day to day to be on some of the some of the beautiful places throughout the state of Texas and work with people who are have have a a common mindset focused on protecting wild places and wild species. And I'll let uh, Eli introduce himself. Uh, I'm Eli Rosen. Uh, I do mostly filming uh, full-time. i from Houston. I went to Texas Tech, so I spent a lot of time in Lubbock. That's how uh, Ronnie and I got connected. And uh, growing up on the coast, we were always fishing and hunting, and, and that's really where uh, I got that spark and that drive for conservation and especially being around a lot of people that have that same mindset. Uh, it, it really makes you dive in head first and want to do everything you can to save the stuff you love so much. So uh, being able to meet Ronnie and do that in, in Lubbock in the West Texas area uh, is huge and super important. And uh, That whole ecosystem up there is just incredible and uh, want to keep it as good as we can. And that's what prompted you both to create a channel called Yucca Films, correct? Right. Uh, Yucca Films is, uh, you know, Yucca is kind of a 
a, a common plant out here and just uh, something that we we thought was unique and represented, you know, kind of the area we're trying to protect. And, you know, Eli and I got together and, and we wanted to tell impactful stories uh, throughout the state of Texas and focus on things that we were truly passionate about because that was easy for us to just dive in uh, and explore. And so we're really focusing on telling stories about, conservation, energy, wildlife, agriculture, uh, all these things intersect in a very unique way in the state of Texas. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to explore, uh, you know, how energy could be impacting wildlife and some of our wild places. Uh, and, and we're just trying to have a, a fair and balanced, uh, exploratory approach to tell stories of, you know, negative impacts, but also just celebrate and tell stories, you know, positive of positivity and some of the beautiful places and beautiful things that are going on in, in the state of Texas. We're super passionate about all this stuff and um, especially the conservation and, and uh, the energy. I personally did not know about uh, the kind of renewable problem. I like to call it, uh, before I met Ronnie and that was really, uh, that was kind of eye opening for me. And I think that's, uh, one reason a lot of people have been kind of interested in our stuff besides just being passionate about, uh, energy. But, uh, when you think of renewables, it's, you think good things. And then when you really dive into the nitty gritty of it all, you find it's not as renewable as everybody thinks. I have the same attitude like you guys, because as I was talking with you guys in our initial conversation and connection, my videographer and I have also similarly found a lot of shortcomings with these renewable projects and very few people. I think I've, I've also worked a lot in, you know, conventional media, new media. I have credibility even among mainstream media too. And I get my stuff printed and incited there as well. But I see a hesitancy from some of my colleagues to report on this. And when I saw your project a few months ago and, and it somehow filtered into my timeline, I thought I had to get you guys on here because the the storytelling was really beautiful. Uh, you really were impartial and trying to offer a fair perspective. And I think the magnitude, I think in particular of of one scene or several scenes relating to, I believe it was a wind turbine graveyard really stuck out at me. And I think it resulted in a lot of engagement. So why has a particular like wind turbine graveyard been the focus of your guys's work and, and wind in particular for the first few videos you've done? Well, wind, you know, the, the wind turbine conversation and renewables in general is just so incredibly complex. And I, I think Eli and I both agree the whole story is not being told. Um, and, and we just wanted to approach this with, kind of kind of a, a non-partisan you know this is just what's happened this is it is what it is this is what's happening out here and it i'm i'm very passionate about it uh I, I live in kent county texas and it's about a million acres we have just under 800 residents out here and it's truly you know the rolling plains you know we, we still have a, a it's a wild place out here it's a god's beautiful creation and uh, there's not a lot of development and we have a, 
a very diverse ecosystem. And over the last decade, we've been, there's just been such a push for wind turbines particularly. And now coming online, a lot of solar projects, which we'll, we'll focus on wind right now. But uh, I think, you know, Eli touched on it. People, people are so disconnected in general nowadays and they don't see the, uh, the full picture. And so I think it was extremely impactful to demonstrate, wow, these wind turbines, uh, you know, j- this is just one externality, you know, we're focused on here, wind turbine graveyard. So these blades on the wind turbines have a usable life. Uh, one particular video we did was in Sweetwater, Texas, showing uh, it was it's currently just it's around a 20 acre graveyard. Uh, so, so, you know, relatively speaking, a small footprint, but these are popping up all over the state of Texas. And we're seeing, you know, in, in the Sweetwater area, that that uh, that turb that wind turbine farm is, is just around 10 years old. So. We're seeing about a 10-year lifespan on these blades. Um, we're seeing some more um, on the high plains around Lubbock that we're seeing blades being replaced in under two years, very frequently under two years. Um, and w- it, this, is, this is a tremendous amount of blades what we're talking about. And this is just one, one aspect of renewables that we're just piling these blades up, You know, maybe chopping them in half and shoving them in a landfill there's, there's, they're popping up all over where they're just piling them up, you know, on the ground. They haven't even figured out what to do with the blades because probably don't have enough room in the landfill at the moment. And it, it just seems on a lot of the, on a lot of these topics, there's this huge push. We want to put these up as quick as possible. These are green. These are renewable. But there's been no consideration for. You know, what happens at the end of life? And we're only talking about the blades being disposed of at the moment. You know, we're not even discussing when the entire structure reaches its its usable life. What is it like actually filming there? Do you get, per, does the company mind you coming uh, to the site to film? Um, how does your film process go about? Because you guys have been a little more successful than me to go to. Not that I, w- I want to invite like any tension with, you know, any company I may be criticizing, but it it must be you know, pretty groundbreaking to be able to go to the sites. Like, are they fine with people filming about it? Whatever you're comfortable sharing, of course. But what does it feel like actually filming it on the ground too? I, I think, uh, I think on the ground, we're, we're just living it, I guess. We're, we're out here in it day to day and these are really popping up everywhere. And so I would say just day to day, we're, we're interfacing with these sites and these, uh, wind generation facilities. And so we're, we're able to, uh, you know, get, get on site and, and, and just show, show people what's really going on. Um, and when you're down with them and I'm sure you've seen drone shots of it and, uh, we've shared drone shots of it. Uh, but it, they don't do it justice when you're standing in the facilities or near the facilities. It's it really is mind blowing how many blades are actually sitting there and uh, how long they've been there, too. I mean, we did the one in Sweetwater. We were looking at Google Maps uh, on the, the street view and that facility. The blades had been there for, 
I think the first time they popped up on, on the Google street view was five or six years ago and they haven't moved an inch. Uh, and some of that fiberglass is starting to rot and just sit there. And I mean, just seeing, and, seeing them up close, it's quite astonishing. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do it justice, the scale of, of how large these facilities are. And, and just in Sweetwater, there's a, a number of these facilities and we've, we've gone to multiple, multiple of them. And yeah, like Eli's saying, there, there's one that they've, there's been blades on site for over five, six years with, you know, all these, all these facilities we've noticed there is a sign, you know, there'll be like a sign out front saying awaiting recycling or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, but, uh, how long is that wait? And, and really there's, we've reached out to a lot of, we haven't found any, any business or any real outlet for recycling, you know, we've heard of some, but we, we haven't gotten access and, or seen any really commercially viable process to recycle these blades because they are made of fiberglass and it's very difficult to work with. You would think uh, these people who are pushing, and, and this is just my commentary that uh, the people who are pushing these projects, often what we hear from them, they say it'll be ready for prime time. It's going to be streamlined. It's really easy but I think where they fall short, especially, uh, they get a little too big for their britches, of course, for one. And then two, they don't have a contingent plan for disposing of these pro- uh, components that may not work to full function. Um, they don't, they're not really honest, rather, or transparent about the shelf life of these different various components, um, that they actually have a far less shelf life than, uh, let's say, conventional energy structures and infrastructure as well. And so it's not surprising to me in my reporting work that I've seen as well that they don't have a plan for recycling these parts or they don't know how to anticipate, let's say, if the projects go awry. Uh, so that's that's interesting. But you, you've you talked to officials, you've talked to people um, in response to this. Like, have you gotten any inquiries or, or people wanting to, to help with recycling these blades that are being disposed? Um, have people, as a result of your reporting, you know, raised greater questions like have have people in Texas been with in powers of position rather uh, been aware or made aware of what's happening because of your reporting? We've had a lot of interesting inquiries uh, across the board, and and a lot a lot of people that are questioning why this is going on, and and just a lot of mixed. It's just hard to pinpoint because you know any any group you talk to or interface with, you know, there, there always seems to be that there's some plan that they've been told of that's ongoing that, you know, these will be moving to this facility, but, you know, this is, we've been, we've been working, you know, closely with this for over a year now and we've never, we've never seen any of that come to light yet. So it's really kind of, you know, it just seems it's all very, it's just hard to really pin it down and really understand what's going on and, and what, what, what forces are driving the decisions that are being made. And your footage was picked up by Texas monthly. Am I correct with that? Some sources have picked it up. That is correct. Yes. So what did, how did they take an interest in your footage? We, yeah, we, we worked with uh, a, a senior editor from Texas Monthly, and he he found some of our, I, 
online some of our footage. Um, and he uh, is Russell Gold. Um, he's he's a writer for Texas Monthly, and he's done a lot of work on oil and gas and uh, you know proper remediation and really holding oil and gas accountable. And you know his I don't want to speak for him, but really he's he, he's interested in accountability being for renewables as well. Um, and, you know, not just saying this is green, we forget about it, but, you know, when, when an oil and gas company shuts in a well, it needs to be done properly with there needs, you know, all, all the, all the, all the right steps need to be taken to, uh, completely remediate that well and, and restore it. And the, the same accountability needs to be in place uh, for these uh, renewable energy projects. And you said you guys are exploring solar projects soon because that, that hasn't been getting as much scrutiny, although I've seen in California and other Western states that actually that their installation may imperil desert tortoises. Uh, there's questions about the panels themselves, if they contain toxins that if they're not properly disposed would ruin the landscape, that land would be uninhabitable, um, unusable for the future. Is that kind of what you're looking into and, and hearing about certain solar projects as well? There is a massive drive right now for new solar projects, and that's the newest hot ticket development uh, item uh, in Texas. Uh, there's there's a lot of concerns, and I, you see you see a lot of people discussing. Okay, the, the desert put all the panels in the desert. No one cares about the desert. You know, statements like that of people that are just so wildly disconnected, they, they could never understand and until they, you know, really get out and understand an ecosystem. And I think a lot of the same uh, thought process is going into, we have solar farms popping up all over Texas and people, you know, just don't, they, they are just, they are just disconnected in the sense of this is such a diverse ecosystem. And I'm mainly talking about the rolling plains here because that's where I spend most of my time. But um, we have <laughs> just such incredible diversity. We have, you know, wild quail, turkey, deer, all sorts of different um, lives. I mean, we, you know, it, it's, it's spectacular out here. And a lot, there's a lot of people that work very hard to protect uh, the native habitat and native wildlife out here. And that's, that's part of what I do day to day. But uh, when you look at these, the scale of these farms, and that's something Eli and I are, are working on documenting more for people to understand uh, just within, from where I'm sitting right now, uh, there's three projects that are either online or being brought online uh, within 40 minutes of where I'm sitting right now that are around 2000 to 5,000 acres a piece, uh, which is, which is extremely massive and, and probably very difficult for a lot of people to wrap their, wrap their mind around. Uh, but as far as you can see, and you know, when we take the drones up and look, I mean, over rolling Hills and, and what we're doing is clear cutting these, you know, beautiful wild places, uh, displacing all this wildlife. We're fencing it in, we're killing the ground. We're going to come back and plant grass over that, but that's going to be mowed because we ha can't have grass growing into the panels and the wiring harnesses. And, you know, one thing, the two big things that 
that really uh, get me fired up, I guess, are footprint and intermittency. And there's a long list of things we can discuss when, when, when we're discussing renewables. And I also don't want to be just someone that's out bashing renewables, but we've got a lot of issues that we really need to understand before we just go all in on this. And uh, 4,000 acres, when you look at the megawatt rating on these facilities, you know, 4,000 acres, when you run the numbers, if I'm, if I'm running the numbers on, I have full sun every day, uh, uh, my annualized megawatt hour production of a 4,000 acre solar farm is essentially equivalent to about three natural gas wells, three average Permian Basin natural gas wells. Um, and that's staggering when you look at the footprint comparison. I mean, it, it's just wow. I, that is what really opened my eyes. Um, and then the, the other part of the equation that I'll briefly I'll briefly hit hit on. I, I was driving through the rolling plains and I'll switch over to wind now on the intermittency conversation. And solar has the same issues because the sun's not always shining. But right. with the fuel mix in Texas, and and Texas is a it's it's a privatized, deregulated energy market. On our fuel mix, I was September 15th, I was out driving around. Um Wind was not blowing that day. Wind was accounting for 2.5% of our fuel mix on the grid in Texas. So people, you know, when we discuss electricity generation, intermittency is so important because we have so many wind turbines and none of them were spinning that day. That's only accounting for 2.5% of our grid. And so for every wind turbine and solar farm that we put up, we have to have that capacity still in other forms of generation. So we still have to have that new natural gas fire power plant that we can ramp up to meet the demand when we have an intermittency problem, when we have no wind, when we have a, a winter storm come through where we have no sun. Uh, so that was a, a long-winded response, but footprint and intermittency are often neglected in these conversations uh and and so we're we're looking into the future going to kind of discuss more of the solar and and just exploring more of the footprint and these comparisons that we're making you also may want to try to look into what's the impact on you know biodiversity and and wildlife which i know you'll probably do because um these companies are getting the ability to take like kill permits or um like mitigation permits and say, we're going to promise to restore this population, even if we destroy this high level habitat and, and say down the road, we're going to promise to do it here on low level habitat. And to me, that's pretty egregious, especially if you're getting those kinds of exemptions or even exemptions for endangered species. You see this both onshore and offshore, and there's no outrage from certain environmentalists about this, which is startling, but not surprising to me. Um, but look into that too, because I think that's where a lot of people are not really focusing on as well, um, in, in addition to the intermittency and the efficiency 
uh, questions of it too. But if, if let's say people are listening to the program and they want to, let's say, send you guys a tip on a project in Texas or maybe in the surrounding states, because they're popping up all over the mid the Midwest and and the Southeast and everywhere. It seems like they're growing everywhere. So if, if any of my listeners want to send you guys tips or connect with you, um, do you guys want to receive more tips too of, of projects to uncover or explore? Abs- absolutely. Yeah, Eli, talk more about that. What kind of projects you guys want to look for, just um, in Texas or beyond? Definitely beyond. Um, I mean, Texas. The the reason we started with Texas is just because I mean, we live in Texas and and we live with that stuff every day. But uh, this stuff isn't only happening in Texas. So and and in many cases, it's happening on a much larger scale in other places. So uh, definitely, any any projects, solar, wind really any forms of energy um, and any conservation minded things as well. uh, We're very interested in and we want to cover. And and like we said before, that's really what we're all about. I mean, we're trying to tell these stories that don't get talked about a lot. So any opportunity we can get to do that, we, we want to. And I've seen some of your other content too about the Texas ranching lifestyle and kind of the conservation heritage. Uh, what are those videos about? If you guys want to share that. Yeah. Eli, that's you our, want to talk about that? Yeah, we can do that. That's our, we're, I, I'm personally very excited about this uh, just from a filmmaking standpoint. Uh, but um, it's a, the series is called legacy landowners. So uh, it's, it's celebrating land stewardship and conservation and, and, these landowners that are keeping these wild places wild and as beautiful as you possibly can. I'd like to, when I'm explaining it to people, I like to say that they're turning their ranches or properties into privately owned, uh, uh, national parks as pristine as they could be and, and untouched and, and not necessarily untouched, but managed in the right way where, they are supporting natural wildlife, natural plants, animals, everything. And, and so that whole project is just the celebration of conservation and, and stewardship and the right management. And we're super excited to do that. And that'll be, I think, our first episode will probably be coming out later this year. Um, and we've dropped a couple clips of it uh, and but it, super excited about that. Ronnie can talk a little more. Well, e- Eli's we, we've kind of gone all in on this and we've got, we've, we've got uh, the first episode later this year and we've got a couple more lined up, but we, we we're taking this to it's, it's going to be very cinematic and really just highlighting people that are just wholeheartedly committed to land stewardship and, and trying to connect those that just, you know, j- just are disconnected, like I've, I've mentioned earlier, and just show them, you know, these how these people are so, so committed uh, to protecting habitat and wildlife and and uh, and focused at, at every level. Um, it's going to be it's gonna be really interesting and just give give people inspiration uh, to, to do what they can to be a conservationist. I've talked to a few landowners, including ranchers, even some in Texas, believe it or not, who who do share this ethos. So they do exist and are out there. 
And it's good that you guys are highlighting them too, because I often see, I was in a civil debate on with someone on Instagram who was saying like, well, all landowners are, you know, for, they're all corporate and they're all destroying the the land and they're wasting water resources. And I'm like, that's those, the, these are small ranchers and operators who are very conscious about, you know, their land and they're not trying to dirty water or pollute things or, or worsen the land and leave it worse off than they found it or than they, you know, kind of safeguarded it. And so um, I think a lot of people have this misconception about landowners as like these robber barons who are just pilfering land and destroying things and digging and, you know, extracting energy. But that that's a, a very stereotypical kind of characterization of most, most landowners who are just family ranchers and farmers, and they don't have millions of billions of dollars. They're just there and they want to, you know, live off the land, have property rights and and also all the while be incentivized to promote conservation too. So that's really good. You guys are tackling that dimension as well. Absolutely. We're very excited to to share it. If anyone listening is interested to connect with you guys, support your project, uh, learn more about your efforts, perhaps give you tips, where would you like to send everyone to? We're, we're most active on Instagram and YouTube, and it's just at Yucca Films with a Z. Uh, so you can you can find us on either of those and we would we would love to get uh, any any insights from people on on where to go or stories to tell uh, love love to connect and uh that that store stories is very broad obviously we focus on energy and and conservation but uh I mean, there, there's a lot more to energy and conservation than just turbines and solar and ranches. So, uh, any, really anything, I mean, we're cool stories. That's, that's what we do. Impactful storytelling. It's sorely lacking today too. Cause I feel like everything is just packaged, uh, to fit a certain narrative and, and they don't go into depth and everything is very clickable. We live in a very kind of short intention span. I guess, era now. And it's hard to get <laughs> substantive content, you know, too many eyes and, and many places and faces. So I commend you guys for doing that because you guys have very pr- powerful, evocative storytelling. Um, I hope I'm not the first person who's going to tell you that with a platform like this. I hope more and more people, I have a lot of influential people listening and following. So I hope that they reach out to you guys and connect with you and help amplify your stuff. Um, so I hope I'm not the the, the last. I, I know I won't be the last person to talk with you guys, but it's it's really commendable what you're doing. Um, I'll have to connect you to my videographer. Maybe you guys could dish, you know, strategies and stuff. But um, it, it it is, I think, starting to catch on this type of curiosity about the shortcomings or kind of trade-offs associated with this green energy push because my worry is that they'll have an even more problematic footprint than conventional energy um, because you can repurpose a lot of the land. I've, I've seen it in coal fields in Virginia. I've seen it elsewhere where the land, when they decommission a, a you know, an oil well or a coal field, it's repurposed. Um, and they try to make sure that there's nothing left over and that it could be suitable animal habitat or repurposed for, you know, another project. I think in Virginia, here in Virginia, we have um, coal fields that are being repurposed for nuclear reactors and nuclear energy kind of development. So it's, it's interesting to see that, but I I'm worried that solar and wind do not have that capacity um, with, with what you guys said, of course, with the shortcomings, um, the lack of consideration for trying to decommission these projects as well. But thank you both for coming on my program. I wish you guys tremendous success. Anytime you want to come back and update my listeners, I'd be more than happy to welcome you guys back. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us, Gabriella, and, and we appreciate what you do as well. Thank you very much. This was a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.